As we said yesterday, today we will speak about Paticca Samupada, or dependent origination. This is, if we see, if we realize dependent origination, then we see the Buddha, or we see Buddhism in its true essential form. So please listen carefully. Please give this very important subject your undivided attention. Although it may be a little cumbersome or difficult for you at first, please try and learn this Pali, Pali word because it's so important. The word is Paticca Samupata, Paticca Samupata. In Thai, the pronunciation is a little shorter, Paticca Samupata. But in the Pali, it's more like Paticca Samupata. Please try and remember this word if you can. But in fact, there are actually two words that are discussing the same, the same fact or reality. In cases where we're talking about everything in this universe, then we can use another word, itapajayata, itapajayata, which is the same basic law, but when it's applied to everything, both within human, human lives and everything in the physical, mental world around us. But when we speak specifically about the reality inside our, our minds, especially the, the arising of suffering and the, the falling away or the quenching of suffering, then we call that specifically Paticca Samupata. Paticca Samupata. If you can, try and remember these two words. One, Itapajayata is the more general one for all things physical and mental. Paticca samupata is specifically the reality within human experience, within human minds. But even in Buddhist countries like Thailand, these two are confused. Sometimes they're used inappropriately and the meanings are switched inadvertently or because people are confused. So we need to be careful to get the meanings straight. So we use these two words correctly. Paticca samupata means dependently arising or dependently originating, that things arise dependent on other things or on other factors. Itapajayata means with this as the condition, this arises or this happens. Because this is the condition or cause, this occurs, this exists, this happens. When you're still studying the teacher Samupata, still trying to understand it, 
and haven't fully realized yet, then it will be a philosophy for you. It will be theory. But when you've seen this thoroughly, experienced it for yourself, it will become a science. Therefore, at first, you must study it in a logical, rational, intellectual way. And then, until you're able to see it directly for yourself, and then it will naturally become a scientific, empirical, experimental kind of knowledge from coming from your own experience. Now, Paticca Samupata is the, the heart of the Buddha's teaching, which the Buddha himself said is the only thing he actually teaches. In one, one time the Buddha said, in the past as well as now, I teach only dukkha and the final quenching of dukkha. Other things I don't talk about. This points to the centrality of Paticca Samuppat, where because Paticca Samuppat is just a, it's just the explanation of how dukkha, suffering, pain arises and how dukkha is finally quenched. The Buddha didn't talk about anything else besides this. But then there are many dozens and hundreds and even thousands of associated matters, things which are connected to this. But if it's the Buddhist teaching, if it's really coming from the Buddha's understanding, then it all connects up with Paticca Samuppada. It all relates to it. Another thing that will make it, that makes it difficult for some people to study this is that the later commentators on the Buddha, the people who 500, 1,000 years after the Buddha wrote books explaining his teaching, have explained Paticca Samuppada incorrectly. For example, some of them have turned it into a matter of incarnation and reincarnation, which has nothing to do with the Buddha's teaching. There's nowhere that the Buddha taught incarnation or reincarnation. But some of the commentators have confused Paticca Samuppada to the extent that they've turned it into a, a non-Buddhist teaching. So we, we point this out so that you'll be careful in the future as you read different things about dependent origination. We'd like you to understand that in Buddhism there's really only one matter, there's only really one issue, and that is dependent origination, paticca samuppata. Everything else are various accessory teachings or support teachings or various connected associated things, which sometimes can become excessive and people can get carried away with the non-essential matters. It's important to realize that Paticca Samuppada is the essence of the whole thing, so that we can keep our focus 
and not waste time on things that are of lesser importance or not be distracted. Using the word itapajayeta, try to study the, the fact of the universe that because of this, this arises. Because this exists, this exists. Or because this ceases, this ceases. Study this fact of all nature using this word itapajayeta, which means because this exists, this exists. Or because of this, this. And then use the word paticha samupata to study the same fact, the same reality of, of nature. That depending on these conditions, this originates. The originating, the arising that, that occurs dependent on other things. <coughs> it's really the same matter. They're just these two slightly different words. We can use them to explore the reality of, of this world and of our own lives until we see it thoroughly. We can speak about Paticca Samupada in many stages of conditioned arising, or we can speak of it in just terms of one stage. For example, the Buddha once said, if the rain is good, the crops in the field will be good. If the rain isn't good, the crops in the field won't be good. Just that much is this dependent origination or itapajayata, just this one stage. For example, if you want to teach this to your children, you can, teach, you can point out to them that because there is sunlight, water on the earth evaporates. Because the, na, the water evaporates, then clouds form in the sky. Then when there are clouds and then they become heavy enough and cool enough, the rain falls or rain will fall. Because the rain falls, the, the earth is wet. Because the earth or the soil is wet, it becomes slippery. Because the, the earth is slippery, you fall down. And because you fell down, your head cracked open and you started to bleed. Because you cracked your head open, you have to go to the hospital, and this provides work for the doctors. And then the doctor takes care of you and you get better. And although this is a rather crude, a very simple example, this is 100% Paticca Samupata. This has all the characteristics of Paticca Samupata. It's only in a very easy external form that even children can understand. Because there are many different kinds of elements, physical elements in this world, they, there are cells. The elements have combined and formed into what we call cells. When there are cells, then they, they come together, colonize, 
and then eventually we they form these bodies with muscles and bone structures and everything when there's a a body a flesh body with everything then there develops a nervous system when there's a nervous system then there is contact or interaction with the external world when there is this contact or interaction there is feeling and then when there are these feelings there arise a sense of positive and negative when we like things it's po- when we like the feeling it's positive when we don't like it it becomes negative and then we foolishly go and like the positive and hate the negative we become stupid in this way and when we begin to think in this way then there arises the egoistic concept of i like or i hate then when there arises this ego that loves or the ego that hates it it bites us this this loving and hating ego bites us and there is there is dukkha there is inner pain there's mental misery if there's no ego then there's no there's no dukkha no suffering <clears throat> and this understanding of paticca samuppada will tell us that in fact there is no ego that its ego is just an illusion that it doesn't actually exist anywhere and it will show us that there isn't really any positive or negative that both positive and negative are conditionally caused they arise in this dependently originating way and don't actually exist of themselves but when there isn't any positive and negative then we don't have any problems we're free of all 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 troubles but because we stupidly um becoming engrossed and infatuated with the positive and the negative then we create all kinds of problems for ourselves if you can study this business of dependent origination and then be able to control it if you can manage it then you will be above all the power and influence of positive and negative and then there won't be anything that can make us laugh or make us cry and we won't have to be sad or glad ever again this this means to be free of the power of positive and negative which is the meaning of liberation liberation or emancipation or salvation in whatever spiritual situation or even political or whatever means really this to be saved from to be emancipated from this tyranny of the positive and the negative all religions aim for salvation but the different religions have their various understandings and explain salvation in different ways but in buddhism this is the meaning of of salvation 
to be freed from, to be beyond all power and influence of the positive and negative. In Buddhism, this is the meaning of salvation. But just about everybody in the world loves gladness. People like to be glad. They get really, they really search for, for gladness. They fall in love with it. They become enslaved to gladness. And so very few people are interested in being free of gladness. How, how good can it be? Or how positive can it be? Or how happy can it be when we get infatuated with gladness and get stuck in it and are trapped by it and then never can be free, can be liberated because we're stuck in gladness. Everybody is still, <clears throat> everybody still prefers gladness. Everybody around you is still very interested in being glad, including you yourself. Take a look around and, and see this, that even yourself isn't yet liberated because you're still attached to gladness. And as long as this continues, we'll never be free. When you're glad about something, when, when something is making you laugh, take a look at that. You see how it makes you tired. You see how it, it wears you out. Can you see the difficulties that come from this, this gladness? If you, if you see this, then you see that gladness isn't really, isn't really worth the trouble. If you can see how it tires us and wastes our energy and disturbs the mind. But until we see this, we'll be still clinging to the positive and still getting caught up in the positive. So it's important to look at the what what gladness actually does. For example, sometimes when we're really happy or really glad, we have trouble even breathing. That our, our breathing can't keep up with our our gladness and excitement. Or sometimes we're so glad, we, we feel so happy that we can't even sleep at night. Or there are times where we we don't feel like eating. We're so happy about something. We don't feel like eating. Or the food doesn't even taste good. This shows how this gladness, how abnormal it is, how it disturbs the, the organism. It disturbs us and interferes with a, a peaceful life. Gladness and sadness are never peaceful. They're always the enemies of peace. So to be, we need to climb up above them in order to be beyond gladness and sadness. It's hard to describe what it is to be above these things. So the best we can do is maybe beyond, to be beyond gladness and sadness. In Buddhism, we have a word for this, this being beyond gladness and sadness. We call it the void, or we call it voidness. This is, many of you won't like this word, 
quite a few people don't like this word and think that we're crazy for, for talking about the void or voidness. In fact, it frightens many people. But in Buddhism, this is the word we use to talk about this being beyond gladness and sadness. But if we tell you that this means being void of all problems, of being void or empty of all suffering, misery, and trouble, then you might get interested in this. We call this void, we call this sunyata, sunyata, which means voidness or the state that is void of all problems, of all suffering, of all dukkha. From evil, we raise ourselves up to, to the good. And then we go beyond the good to the void. The void is that which is beyond all evil and good. From dukkha, we find sukha or happiness. And then beyond happiness, there is the void. Or we free ourselves from the negative and move to the positive, and then go beyond the positive to, to the void that is beyond all positive and negative. Those of you who have been good Christians will be familiar with the story in the second chapter of Genesis where God forbid Adam and Eve to eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This knowledge of good and evil is God's warning and it's the same teaching that in Buddhism we call voidness. If we, God said that if you eat this fruit, you will die. In Buddhism, we say that if, if you are beyond good and evil, if you are beyond good and evil, then you won't have any problems, you won't have any trouble. It's the same matter as what we're saying here is the same thing that God was teaching in the second chapter of Genesis. So we hope that you understand that even in Christianity, there's the need for the voidness. And if you're united with the void, then you're united with God. And Lao Tzu, the founder of Taoism, taught that we should be beyond yin and yang, which is the same thing as the voidness. Yin and yang are the dualities like good and evil. And to beyond, be beyond all that is the voidness. So even in Taoism, we find the same thing. In Hinduism, the teaching is very similar, though it differs a little bit at the end. In Hinduism, they teach to be beyond punya, which is merit or goodness, and bapa, which is sin or evil. To be beyond punya and papa is, is in Buddhism voidness, but there they call it to be with paramatman. 
In Buddhism, the teaching is to be beyond good and evil, to be beyond sin and virtue, to be beyond unwholesomeness and wholesomeness, to transcend all the pairs of opposites, all these dualities in Buddhism should be should be transcended. We should go beyond them. This is the only way to find freedom or liberation. But for us, we're always, we're still trapped within the power and influence of all these dualities. We laugh, we cry, we're sad, we're glad. Our lives just keep bouncing back and forth between these different extremes. And so we're, we're not free. We're not yet emancipated. We haven't realized this higher truth or reality of voidness. So you should know now that but only Paticca Samupata can lead us to the voidness. If we talk about this reality of voidness in a slightly different way, if we speak about the result that comes when the mind is united with the voidness, then we use the word atamayata, atamayata, which we translate as unconcoctability. This is the state where the mind is unconcocted. Instead of being stirred up, cooked up, messed up by things, the mind is is free of all that churning and cooking and conditioning. This freedom of this unaffectedness we call adhammayata or unconcoctability. You can compare adhammayata with unshakability. The mind that has adhammayata doesn't shake or tremble. The mountains in the Himalayas or the Alps in Europe or the Rockies in North America, even these huge massive mountains can shake and tremble if there's an earthquake. But the mind that is Adamayada won't shake or tremble or quaver or quiver even the least little bit. An even simpler and more direct example is a young woman, a single young woman who's very beautiful, very attractive, very desirable. No matter what what man came by, no matter how rich and charming and intelligent or what how nice his clothes were or his how good his taste or whatever, no matter what wonderful qualities this man would have, if this young woman had a dhammayada, there's no way this guy could pick her up or or take advantage of her in any way if she has a dhammayada. Or on the other hand, a very handsome young man can be sitting there in a whole herd of Miss Universes and Miss Worlds and all these 
beauty queens could come by and he wouldn't be affected at all if he had a Dhammayata. This is the benefit of the void, to be out from under the influence of the positive and the negative. So now or next we should look into, we should study how Paticca Samupada can lead us or bring us to voidness. First you should understand what we call the stream of Itapajayata or the stream of Paticca Samupada that because of this there occurs this and because of that then this and then this and then this. So there's this stream of things arising dependent on each other, conditioned by previous things. To see this flow of things arising out of conditions, out of causes, is something we should see. Right now, how do you see things in this world? Do you see everything as a stream, as a flow? Or do you see things as solid objects? That this is one hunk of a thing and here's another chunk and there's another chunk. And we see these separate individual objects. How do we, how do we see it? How do we see the ground here? Do we see it as a flow? As a constantly changing process? Or do we see it as something solid and permanent? as a, an object or a thing. If we can see everything as this constantly changing flow, then our minds will be free and will go be in the voidness. But if we're still grabbing onto things, taking everything to be solid, stable objects, then we can be trapped by them. But we can look in it ourselves, we can pay attention to our own bodies and see how all the time we're, we're breathing and we're eating food and things. So constantly there's change going on, an interchange between ourselves and between, between ourselves and then between our body and the outside world. So things are constantly changing, nothing stays the same. There's a constant flow or process, a stream of conditionality that's constantly flowing. There's not just one set body. It's not a, a set thing. There's no real boundaries that can be defined as a thing. It's this flow or change. If we look inside ourselves, we can, we can see this. We can experience our own selves as this flow. There was a Greek philosopher at the same time of the Buddha named Heraclitus who taught that everything flows, all or all is flux, in Greek, pantare. Many people thought he was crazy. They probably didn't, couldn't understand how it was that everything is in a state of flux, how everything is, is flowing. 
But if we if we understand paticca samupata, we'll we'll see that in fact everything is in a state of flux of change. If we look inside, if we really pay attention and experience our own bodies, we can we can start to feel the the constant change that's taking place. But it's it's not just say the breathing or it's not just the blood flowing through the body. Everything is changing. Every cell in our body is constantly changing. There's mutations going on all the time. Things are constantly changing. And every atom that make up these cells, in all of the atoms, there is this flow, there's this constant process of change. There's nothing that stands still. There's nothing that doesn't move or change in various in the various different ways. We can see in everything in the body that there is a constant flow or stream of, of change. This happens because <coughs> there are causes and conditions for change. There are always causes and conditions bringing about change. And this points us to the law of Itapajayata, or the law of conditionality, that everything exists in a conditioned way, that everything is conditioned, and these conditions necessitate constant change. If we see this, it will be impossible for us to concoct or create an egoistic concept not seeing this constant flow of change, we take ourselves to be a self, to be an ego. But when we see the, the flow of Itapajayada, it will be impossible for the egoistic concept to arise. And when there's no egoistic concept, we don't make any problems. There's no suffering or misery. In every atom that makes up our bodies and our world, in every atom, there's constant motion. Everything is spinning. Electrons are dancing all over the place. Things are pulsing and changing. This is going on constantly, and there's absolutely no stop to it. And then our universe, everything in the universe is made up of these atoms. So it's quite obvious that everything is constantly flowing. Is constantly is in this constant process of transformation. To see this is the essence of seeing e tapajayata. So material things out around us are full of these constantly flowing and streaming atoms. And then inside us, all the cells are like this. And then mental things, such as our thoughts, they're also in the same state of flow or process. Have you ever observed a thought? It, it never stands still. In fact, our thoughts are changing even more quickly than, than material things. The thoughts are they're just there for an instant. And all our mental experience is this, this flow of change, this conditioned process 
is, is what makes up our mental experience. So everything within us, whether our physical bodies or our minds, our thoughts, our feelings, as well as the world around us, the rocks, the trees, the animals, the cats, the cars and everything, is this constantly flowing change. Everything, without any exception, is in this, this flow, this process. If we see everything is flowing like this, we see this ceaseless, limitless flowing, then our minds will be free. But still, all these things that are constantly flowing, we still fall in love with them. Take a good look at that. Is it good or is it crazy to fall in love with things that are flowing all the time? Is, this, is it good or is it insane? That we hate the negative and fall in love with the positive. Is this crazy or is it good? And it's only an understanding of Paticca Samuppada that will help us to not fall into love with the positive and into hatred of the negative. So we ought to study this matter of dependent origination until it is able to free us. So now let's look at it itself. Let's, we've been talking about it in a general way. Let's look at dependent origination in more detail. We'll, we'll begin with a very simple example, one that has nine nine stages or nine aspects. Begins when the we have the eye, our our eyes are used. When the eye interacts with some physical object in the world, with some visual object. When the eye and a visual object interact, there arises what we call eye consciousness, which is the mind being conscious of the object via the eye. This is already Paticca Samupada. We have the eye and the visual object. They interact through light waves and chemical reactions in the eye. And then there arises eye consciousness. It works the same for the ear and sounds. When they interact, then there is what we call ear consciousness, knowing the sound. Or with the nose and then odors, then there arises nose consciousness, to be conscious of the, the smell. Then there is the body, the skin, feeling touches and pressures and things, and there then arises skin or body consciousness. And even for the mind, when the mind experiences an emotion, a mood, a memory or something, then there arises mind consciousness. So this is, this has the condition of itapajayata or paticca samupada. There are causes and then there arises a result. Then we come to the second stage, 
when there's the I, the visual object, and I consciousness, when these three work together, when they function as a, as a unit, as a team, then there arises what we call contact, where the experience makes full contact or has full impact on, on consciousness, on the mind. This, this contact is, is crucial because based on this contact, there arises feelings. Due to contact, there arises feelings, which is the third stage of Paticca Samupata. These feelings are what we take to be positive and negative. These feelings are what lead us to falling into positiveness and negativeness. And so due to the feelings, there arises dhanha, dhanha, which means, which is a stupid, foolish wanting, or what we call desire, to want things in a blind and foolish way. This arises because of the feelings or vetana. This arising of tanha is the fourth stage. Now be very careful that when we talk about tanha or desire, it must be foolish, blind, ignorant. There's, this is only desire that occurs when there's a lack of understanding and wisdom. If there's wisdom, if there's awareness and wisdom, we give it a different name. We call it sankapa, aspiration, or we could call it wise want. But here it's that what we're talking specifically about a foolish, ignorant desire or craving that follows after this feeling of positive and negative. When things are taken to be positive and negative, which is already foolish, then there becomes this, this ignorant desire that's chasing after or running away from the positive and negative. Now, dhanha leads to upadana, leads to the feeling that if there's, that there's the one who desires, the desirer, or the liker, the hater, the lover, whenever there's some kind of desire, there arises a concept of the, the ego that desires the self that desires, and we call this upadana, upadana, or attachment. This egoistic concept is the result of, of this ignorant desire. If you understand this, this point, this fact right here where upadana arises from dhanha, from ignorant want, then you'll see how the ego, the self, the soul is just an illusion. You'll see that it's just a concept created. When there's desire, when there's this kind of twisted energy in the mind of desire, then it kind of forms a knot. And we, we cling to that as the desirer, the wanter, the lover, the hater, 
whatever, whatever form the desire takes. But when we see that this, this concept of ego is just a concept, it's just a concept conditioned by desire, that when there's no desire, the concept of self, of ego, doesn't arise. Then we see the elusiveness, we see the, the falseness the, of, this, this, of the ego. We see that it's just a concept. If we can see this, then we can be free of the, the tyranny, of the confusion and chaos of ego and self. This upadana or attachment to the concept of I. This is just ignorant, an ignorant concept. This is just ignorant. But it's, it's like the conception of the ego. The way a physically, there's physical conception in a, in, in a womb. This is a mental or spiritual conception of the ego. Then once the ego is conceived, attachment is this conception of ego, then the ego grows. And when the ego is fully formed in the mind, we call that bhava or in pawa, pawa. This is the fully formed ego, the the, the ego that's fully pregnant and ready to be born. This is the next stage of dependent origination. When the ego is fully pregnant, is fully matured, then it's born. And we call this jati or birth. Jati is the birth of the fully mature ego. And once it's born, then the ego plays its games in the world. It, it, it has some role, it, it falls into some situation, into, and this we call birth. Once the ego has fully formed, it is born into some role, it plays a certain game. This is called the birth of ego, which is the next stage of Paticca Samupada. Once there is this ego birth, then I in mind is fully developed. These concepts of I in mind are fully formed. And then there is I, there's mind, there's he, there's she, there's you. And this is the foundation for all our problems in the world, all our problems in life. All suffering, all troubles need something to stand on. They don't just arise out of thin air. All problems, all suffering, all, all pain and misery is based in this ego. And so, for there to be pain and suffering, there must be this birth of ego. This is the next stage of Paticca Samupada, that when there is, when the ego is born, then there arises all the problems and trouble which we call dukkha, all the misery and dissatisfaction that we call dukkha. We call this spiritual birth, this birth of ego, we call it spiritual birth. 
Can you see how often this, this happens? Many of us think of birth as happening only once in a lifetime. But this spiritual birth is happening many times even in one day. There's, it happens so often you, you can't even count it. Even in one hour, this ego is being born, this egoistic concept is born many, many times even in just one hour. Physical birth is not a problem in any way. To be physically born is just like being a rock or something, and there's, there's no problem. The problem is when there is spiritual birth within this physical birth. The physical birth itself is, there's not anything wrong with it. It's when there is spiritual birth that all problems, all troubles, all suffering can occur. So when an infant is born, there's no problem, there's no suffering. It's not until that the infant's ego is born, when there is spiritual birth, that the child suffers, that there is any, any trouble. So we don't have to worry about physical birth. That's not our problem. The whole thing is understanding and getting free of spiritual birth, of this illusion of ego. Once the child is born and the body begins to mature, the child uses its eyes, ears, nose, tongue, skin in order to experience the world. And once this sense activity starts to take place, then the child starts to react and feel positive and negative. And then spiritual birth takes place. Once the senses start to function, then there can be spiritual rebirth, spiritual birth. And then the child becomes, then the child begins to suffer. Whenever we, there's a feeling or sense of positive and negative, then we have a problem. And this is, this causes this spiritual birth. When we, when we feel it as positive or negative, then this is where all our problems arise, because from that follows the birth of ego and all, all of our, our problems. We live in a world that is full of objects that are giving us pleasant and unpleasant feelings. And then we're constantly taking these to be positive and negative. And so we create many, many problems out of our own lives and within this world. Every, and then from these problems, this is for us dukkha. This is suffering and misery. Without any exception, every time that there arises a feeling of positive or negative, we will create ego will be born, there will be this spiritual birth. And every time there is spiritual birth, there will be suffering, without any exception whatsoever. Whenever ego is born, suffering always follows. If we can manage or control this flow of dependent origination, beginning with contact, feeling, craving, attachment, power, 
ego birth dukkha, if we can control this, then attachment won't arise and there won't be any suffering. So the, the key is to be able to control the flow of Vaticha Samupada, and then we won't have any problems. So let's review this one more time. When the internal sense organ and the external sense object interact, there arises sense consciousness. When these three things, the sense organ, the sense object, and sense consciousness, when the three are working, functioning together, there arises a fourth thing, which we call patsa, contact. Then the third stage is when their patsa leads to vetana, feeling, feelings pleasant and unpleasant. And then vetana leads to or causes dhanha, craving, or this ignorant desire. And dhanha causes upadana, attachment. The sixth stage is this attachment leads to existence of the ego. And then this Pawa or ego existence leads to chati, birth, especially in particular this spiritual birth. And chati or this spiritual ego birth causes all suffering. Excuse us, we counted wrong. It's not nine, it's just <laughs> this shortened version is just eight. Sometimes you can make it six, sometimes nine, sometimes twelve. Later we'll speak in a more detailed way where there are eleven stages. These eight stages we've been speaking about is quite easy to understand. So please do your best to investigate it until you understand it. We just recited the, the basic formula of dependent origination, beginning with the eye and the, the external object. These come together, there arises eye consciousness. The three meeting together are contact. Contact is the condition for feeling. Feeling is the condition for mm -hmm. desire. Desire is the condition for attachment. Attachment is the condition for existence. Existence is the condition for birth, and birth, once birth arises, all the forms of suffering, grief, sorrow, and despair arise. The Buddha himself occasionally, the Buddha was known to go off and just kind of sing this to himself. And Ajahn Buddhadasa recommends this, that you take this, translate it into your own language, and make a song out of this. And if you sing this song, it will do you a lot more good than all the crazy, ridiculous songs people are singing in this world. Those, those crazy songs most people are singing just lead to more attachment and more suffering. But if you sing this song, it can lead to more understanding and wisdom. One time the Buddha was sitting alone in the woods and he, he thought he was alone and he began 
kind of reciting or singing this to himself. And another monk had followed him and found him sitting there singing this. And then the Buddha told this monk that this is the beginning of the, of the spiritual life, the pramajariya, which is the, the sublime or spiritual way of living. The Buddha said that this, understanding and beginning to see dependent origination is where spiritual life really begins. And so he wasn't shy about singing it. He didn't, he spent lots of time investigating it and trying to point it out to others. Or we can call it the starting point of emancipation. So the the subject of Paticca Samupada is like this. Please help to try and understand this. Please investigate it, study it, look into it until you can really see it happening and then are able to control it so that you can stop the flow of, of spiritual birth and you can cut off the roots and causes of, of suffering. Thank you all for listening so well once again. Tomorrow we'll speak again, but for today we'll end at this time.